Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5000. Enjoy! Okay, I guess that means we are live. Welcome to the two-hour block, the the relaunching of what I like to call SCOP. It's the Semicore official podcast, and has been on hiatus for a very long time. And I figured for this special event, uh, we needed to do something special, and bringing this back... Uh, rebooting it seemed like a very cool thing to do. No, no, Kevin Michael Jordan won't be joining us. Uh, but we do have a wonderful uh, friend that you all know and love. So, Jen, say hi to everybody again. Hi. All know and love might be a little overextending, but uh, I'm here. You're here. At what time is it uh, for you? For me, it's only twelve midnight. So Hawaii time. Midnight. Yeah, I'm I'm still living uh, a little bit early. It, well, at least it's uh, it's Sunday. We're on the same day. That's right. Oh wow, we finally caught up to each other. That's pretty awesome, actually. Now I'm no stranger to uh, recording with people from the uh, the islands. My um, good friend and co-host of the Backstage Slam, also um, a native of Hawaii. I remember that. So I, I, I understand how syncing schedules could be a bit tricky. It, it's, only ske- it's only tricky when somebody wants to schedule something at uh, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's tricky. Yeah. Yeah, I can see how that might be an issue, especially since it's 5 a.m. here on the East Coast now. And looking at a sunrise in a couple of hours, by the way, uh, like five hours into the 19th, the world hasn't ended yet. So I think we're going to be good to go for a little while. I, I hope so. I, I, I echo, echo that sentiment. I really hope that everything is going to be okay, because I was a little bit worried there for a couple minutes. If anything happens, though, I'll let you know. Well, now that my time zone has flipped, we're officially out of the danger zone. It was not out of the danger zone until my time zone flipped. But, you know, it's 12.08, so I think we're good. Well, do you like movies? No. I hate them. 
Someone told me once that you liked movies, and I figured, you know what? The Oscars coming up, I could use someone to talk movies with. And yeah, Joshua, do you know that I actually went to college to study cinematography? I did not know that. What did you learn? (laughs) Give give us the whole course in about five minutes. Don't take an intern job in New York City without finding out what the movie actually is first. That's one. Okay, uh, this sounds like an two, interesting story. Uh, yeah, probably not a great one for prime time. I'll have to tell that story sometime. Um, second, though, I think I learned that uh, Steven Spielberg had a much harder job than I originally thought. And fourth... Um, if you decide to get into film, you probably shouldn't have a family right away. You should probably put that off a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, but I can it, see it, those. It, I, I actually, the, the reason that I bring that up is just because I, I did study cinema. I, I then later got into doing a bunch of writing, helping people do adaptations and things like that. And I actually went to the Oscars one year. So oh, really? my big Oscar story. Yeah, my big Oscar story. It's only one. I only got to go one time, but I was so excited. So every time the Oscars roll around, no matter how bad I think it's going to be, I get super excited. Well, out of all of the Oscar nominees this year, um, we'll just say Best Picture. How many did you watch? Uh, most of them, I think. The uh, The Golden Globes were a different story for me because um, I think, and let's see, one, two... Three, four, five, six. I saw six of the Best Picture nominees, but for the Golden Globes, I, I saw all of them. And I saw every Best Picture nominee. And it was it was surprising, the differences between those two lists. But I believe the Oscars have a wider... Um, well, not necessarily wider, but they encompass all of 2019 whereas the Golden Globes, I think, fit in the end of 2018 also. Um, anything stand out to you? You know what? Let's go over the, the nominees real quick. Uh, for Best Picture, Ford versus Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. So the only one on this list that I didn't see was actually there's two. I'm sorry, I misspoke. There's Marriage Story, which I didn't see yet, and Jojo Rabbit, which I didn't see yet. Really? Because out of out of, out of this whole list, uh, the only ones I haven't seen are Parasite and Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, just if I can add a addendum to that, you should definitely see Parasite. That was a really excellently made movie. Very good. I keep hearing that, and it's been on my to-watch list, I guess you could say, for a while now, and I just haven't gotten around to it. It's but, very different. It's it's really different story. Creative, very creative storytelling. I liked it a lot. Then I will have to make sure to, to bump that up and make my absolute next thing to, next thing to watch. I'm I'm surprised though that you say you haven't seen Marriage Story because I mean it's it's a Netflix movie it's it's right there it's available anytime. I know I know and I, you know I actually sat through the Irishman all the way through one mm-hmm. sitting 
and and I, and actually I shouldn't say it like that because I really did like it. I I actually have a a big part of my heart that loves those kinds of films. Um, but no, I didn't see Marriage Story for for so many different reasons. I think one of the biggest is it really kind of I know what it's about and it hits home in a way that's like a little bit really close to home. So I've sort of been waiting to watch that until I feel like, yeah, I've got the emotional fortitude to watch it. I did not really have any idea what it was about other than, you know, as Kente put it in the last hour, Kylo Ren and Black Widow uh, being married. (laughs) And it kept getting all of this acclaim and I was like, okay. Um, you know, the kids are away for the weekend, so I'll sit down and watch it. Not, not that it's, you know, um, any kind of raunchy or anything like that movie. It's just for a movie like that, that I'm going to sit down and be emotionally invested, you know, kind of like to have my atmosphere right. And I, I was knocked for a loop because it does hit really really close to home in a very hard way because I've I've been through you know that story and you use the exact words that I used when I describe it it's, it's right there it it hits all of the emotional um, uh, pressure points Right. And that's why, you know, it's getting so much acclaim, especially from Hollywood. I mean, how many divorces have, you know, Hollywood people been through, right? And to me, that that's what made me such a big fan of um, Adam Driver and Skylar Johansson and the, and the performances they put in. Because how, how do you put that on screen? Uh, how do you, where do you pull from to get that kind of emotion that it blew me away. And I was really hoping, especially Adam driver would, uh, would pull some more recognition, you know, uh, bring home a couple of, uh, pieces of 10. Yeah. I, I think Adam driver is, I actually think that he's a really talented actor and some of the things that he is had that he's been typecast in are they they're to his detriment and i don't mean this in in a way like he didn't do a good job i mean it's really difficult once you've been typecast in a role as a character to break out of that and this was super successful i mean i i know for a fact because i've seen some of the advanced material that (laughs) there's nothing even close to what he was in any of his previous roles in terms of what that looks like for uh marriage story. So. Well, hopefully this means that Adam driver will be getting more diverse opportunities and won't just be that Kylo Ren guy, but right. out, of, out of the movies nominated, who would you give the nod to? Uh, I think I'm going to go with Joker. Now, is that because you personally think it's the best movie or because that's what you think will win? 
No. Actually, of all the movies that are up here, I think 1917 is the best movie um, for lots of different reasons. It actually makes the cinematographer and me uh, absolutely ecstatic to see what they did. Um, but that's technically, visually, story-wise, everything. It's sort of the perfect of the perfect. But my guess is that Joker... Uh, gets the Academy nod because it ticks all the boxes that I know that the Academy likes. Um, it's, it's an underdog story. It's a, it's, there are so many social cues in it. Um, it, it, I mean, visually it's beautiful. That movie was absolutely amazing as grungy and hard to watch as parts of it are. It, it's so it's almost sublime how ama- how they put all of that together to come up with something that was just uh, it, like I said it's just it's amazing but that in and of itself I think is not even um, that's not even the the biggest part I think the biggest part is Joker is at this point one of those stories that's like um, the, the 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 social justice of the day and mm-hmm. it, it feels like they love that kind of stuff. The only thing that could make Joker better is if it was somehow historical in nature and then it would be a shoo-in. So that's what I think. So if it was some sort of period piece, you think that would lock it down? (laughs) Yeah, if they could tell Joker in some kind of period piece, I think that we wouldn't even be having this question. We would just be going, yep, that's where it's going to go. I can see Joker being set in the seventies. Wouldn't take yeah. a whole lot of a uh, whole lot of tweaking. Yeah, I was thinking more something like you know, Victorian. <laughs> you know, it, I mean, obviously that's a huge jump in adaptation. But I want to see it. Serious. I want to see that now. <laughs> but it really does. I mean, when you think about it, it really does kind of. You know, the, also the other thing is Hollywood really loves the anti-hero. And uh, we don't get a lot of movies that are successfully made about the anti-hero. So when they come along, they tend to get, I think, accolades that... Um, this movie, I think, is actually... You know, I, I do feel like it was ju- it justly deserves them, for sure. But I, I feel like it gets a little bit over-celebrated. And that's where I think this one kind of comes in. Because there's some really good movies on that list. Yeah. Uh, I saw, out of all these movies, I only saw 1917 in the theater. Oh. Wait, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I saw it in the theater. But uh, 1917, it was one of those movies where I thought, okay, a war movie, you know, it's got to be a spectacle, right? So I got to see that in the theater for the big effects. And the, I, you could tell I didn't know anything about it going in. And... <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad I saw it on the big screen because, like you said, the cinematography really pops because it is – I was telling my dad when we were leaving the theater, one of the things that I liked about this was um, even though it it had huge set pieces uh, between – and it's not spoilery, but the the towns that were ruined and the the huge craters in the ground – Huge set pieces, right? Yep. 
it was still shot very close. You you were getting the 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 big stuff in the background. Um, it it was the backdrop, but it it wasn't like any other war movie or you know uh, action spectacle where you're getting that wide shot of everything just you know blowing up. You're, it's it's a very personal and it's very uh you, you get the perspective of the characters uh the entire time right and 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 the idea that the movie tries to trick you in some ways but very successfully so into thinking that it's done in kind of a one shot uh piece is it's it lengthens the drama it gives this kind of uh very strong aspect to the visuals that are happening and it also keeps the story narrative really super simple which in you know any other movie i would say well maybe that's not such a good thing but in this movie it works so much to its credit because there is so much happening that if you were to convolute it with too many side pieces, <clears throat> you'd lose the central point to it. And I, I personally, I just think that from uh, from the standpoint of cinematic excellence, this movie gets everything. It gets excellence in dialogue where there is dialogue. <clears throat> it's it, nothing feels wasted in the dialogue here. Um, the just the camera itself is amazing um but then there's the actors who look I, I know that it seems so easy to be in you know a war movie and make things explode and react to it and stuff like that but these the stuff that was happening in 1917 felt so incredibly uh personal like it wasn't just happening around it was happening too and mm -hmm. that is such a huge differentiation because it allows us as the audience to really have a personal connection with what's happening right it's not just happening in the background it's actually happening uh strongly to our characters you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i know exactly what you're saying and it it it's it's a very good point and that's the reason why I think it should win. I think it's a far better movie than the Joker. And I got to be honest with the Joker. I was underwhelmed. I mean, really? I'm not saying it's, it's a bad movie by any means. I mean, I thought the performances were excellent. It was well shot, but you know, it's one of those movies. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you where you're like, okay, like I said, the performances, you know, solid. It was shot beautifully. It just didn't hit that spot for me. And I'd been trying to figure out why I don't think Joker is as great as everybody else. And I don't know, maybe it just comes down to I was expecting more Joker. Hmm. And well, I don't I, know. It, it, I, I did. 
I did hear a lot of people talk about uh, after the movie came out that they were expecting more <clears throat> Batman tie-in. That that as a backstory, Joker felt underwhelming in the Batman universe because how does this even even where we see the small ties to the Batman story, it I think uh, it created for most people more questions than answers but honestly this is one of the reasons that i think that it was successful it was successful because it told a story that was a little bit on the fringes of the universe instead of telling the story that was just the dc universe joker right do you know what i'm saying like it like it took its time to get to a place where something bigger was happening without infringing on all of the dc canon that's already come before it if that makes sense i get what you're saying um it, it like it's getting recognition for being a great comic book movie but they took out all of the comic book stuff correct correct which uh, honestly to to be totally honest i feel like it that actually worked i mean i know i i, I do understand why people are upset about not getting the Batman piece in it. But I also, in retrospect, think about how that movie sort of was presented to audiences and it it feels like it's its own standalone story. I wish more, actually, movies that deal with the, the backstories of the superheroes would go that direction instead of making everything completely so canon to the universe that the, that there is nothing that we can't expect because all the things in Joker were truly surprising. At least that's what I think. Okay. Um, yeah. So I guess we can, the, the, uh... the, the one, the one movie though, that I do think that we should talk about uh, on okay. this piece, which again is best picture um is once upon a time in hollywood because I, I, I personally i don't think that the academy is actually ready to give tarantino that kind of recognition not i just don't think it's going to happen but once upon a time in hollywood has as many people hating it as people that love it and i have to say that to me that feels like a really successful movie because the reasons that people hate it have a lot to do with the way that he presented what was well what's happening what was happening um and and it i i sort of feel like tarantino is very successful in that so i mean the fact that it's nominated is amazing and awesome um the i, I don't actually think that it's gonna win but i do feel like it's kind of a watershed moment do you know what i mean yeah so I, I, I guess I, that particular movie, like I said, every time I bring it up, it, it basically starts a fight every single time because as many people hate it as love it. So, you know, it, it's a dark horse for the category for sure. But I mean, with the way it's a, it's a ranked voting system, right? Right. So maybe Joker in 1917, wind up canceling each other out who knows once upon a time in hollywood might be everyone's third favorite movie and 
and accidentally win Best Picture. Boy, that would be really interesting. <laughs> that would be really interesting. But do you think he has a chance to win Best Director, Quentin Tarantino, that is? No. No, I don't. It is a uh, pretty pretty loaded field this year with Martin Scorsese and the Irishman, Todd Phillips and the Joker, Sam Mendez, 1917, and Bong Joon-ho with, uh, or Ho with Parasite. Yeah. Um, so either Sam uh, Mendez or, uh, or Parasite. I, I'm, I don't know which. I'm not sure, but one of those two, I think. I don't know. I have mixed feelings about Parasite. Parasite is, it's such a horror. Uh, it, it feels very horror genre. And typically they don't do really well at the, uh, at the, at the Oscars. I don't know. I, I mean, I suppose it could, but I sort of lean toward 1917 and maybe more. I don't know. Maybe the Irishman. Uh, the Irishman was good. That was a really good movie. It was long. It was really long, but it was good. I think it was, you know, safe. Uh, that's a, I think that's a good word to describe. Uh, the Irishman, it was safe. Yeah. Uh, Scorsese just... And I, and I hate to put it this way, but the movie was so safe, Kevin Smith could have directed it. Oh, that's a pretty good analogy. A lot of talking, not a whole lot of camera movement. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I, But I feel like it, that's what Martin Scorsese does best. I mean, Martin Scorsese was doing what Martin Scorsese does best. So it made the movie excellent because he wasn't stepping outside the box, you know? You know, like when we were talking about Bond earlier, just because you know what you're getting doesn't mean it's bad. It just means you know what you're getting. And if somebody does something really well, uh, well, let them do it. Right. At least least it's good. Uh, Rather than someone that tries something new and it's not, not good at all. Well, and, and, you know, honestly, this is, this, I think, is one of the core functions of the Academy in, in some ways, keeping people in their quote unquote lane. Um, You're not always given accolades or any kind of preferential treatment when you move outside the, not the, it's not so much what the public expects as much as this is what we know you for greatness with, excuse me. And this is what we want to continue to see. And I, I don't know. It's, it just feels very um, like, uh, like directors historically sort of get penalized for walking outside their, this is what you're known for, you know? Mm Mm-hmm course i mean anything can happen but but i have to say you know after last year um and even maybe the year before with all of the talk about diversifying the oscars and trying to get more 
uh, more diversity in. Um, it just still feels like it is just the good old boys club um, without a whole lot of, with some token, token nominations. And I, it just, I don't know. I don't know how to exactly fix any of this or make it change or whatever, but man, it's so obvious this year that it, it, there just isn't enough diversity in filmmaking right now. And there needs to be a lot more. Well, I, I don't know if the question is if there's enough diversity in filmmaking, but there certainly should be uh, thoughts given to is there enough diversity in recognition of filmmakers right uh, yeah that's that's i think that's what the issue is uh, how do you how do you recognize more diverse filmmakers one without you know tokenism and two um i don't know i part of me wants to say while well, maintaining the integrity of the academy but you know that's not a thing uh really i mean look at the um, best directors we got um five guys right and one of them is korean yeah one of them is korean. but all male um and I know people have argued that, oh, you couldn't find one female director to nominate it. Well, one, you don't want to, I don't, I don't think you want to look at it like that because there, there were plenty of female, you know, directed movies in 2019. Uh, maybe plenty is not the right word, but there were, they were there. Now the question is how do those, uh, films get recognized and I think that that's really the big question maybe I don't know we we open up the the nomination pool to to make it what the people want but would that just make the people's choice awards yeah see I I actually I, I sort of <clears throat> okay <clears throat> I've given this oh, sorry I'm definitely coming down with a cold I've given this just a little bit of thought and what I think the Academy specifically can do in order to make the Oscars feel as if they are more inclusive and have uh, a little bit more diversity to them, both from a gender perspective and from a, uh, the perspective of, uh, well, not just minorities, just sort of representing everybody is they can stop using the same the same people that they continue to use again and again and again as their sort of go-tos for hey this is what we think is excellent in other words like you know the nominating process itself feels stilted and and I think it's got to come from, you know, inside the the actual board, not just, like you said, you know, make some token nominations here and there. 
I really think that the nominating process itself needs a bit of an overhaul. And I don't think it should be the people as, as in the people's choice awards. I don't think it should be that that's that dilutes the, uh, the effect. Uh, it needs to be a, a very specific group of people, but the, but that the nominating process for the films itself, that's what needs to change. And the, and the directors and everything else. I mean, that's what needs to change because if the only, if the only effort to single out uh, women in an Academy Award is best actress and best supporting actress, then we have a problem because women make up a great deal of the industry, but they do not get recognized. And that, I don't know, that just feels like such a, like there's got to be something more intrinsic happening here than even maybe we can see. And maybe fixing or overhauling the system is sort of a way to do that, right? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I, I think I get what you're saying. The, the last woman to win Best Director, well, the only one, right? Catherine Bigelow? Yeah. Even even when she won, even when she was, you know, nominated in this and that, all, all every story I saw was accompanied with, oh, and she was married to James Cameron. Yeah. Like that has anything to do with what she made. And and honestly, that see, it's that kind of that's what I'm saying. I don't think that we're going to be able to, in the span of one year or two years or whatever, wipe through the 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 underlying biases that exist in Hollywood. Because I mean, let's face it. Although most people aren't int- intimately involved in the industry, right? It's it, it's been around for a long time. There are entrenched sort of roles that have been established. And it, it is real difficult to change those roles in a meaningful way. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't keep trying. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't keep calling attention to the kind of inequality that exists when we see it. We, like if we don't keep saying stuff about why the Oscars are so white and why the Oscars are so gender uh, skewed, we give them carte blanche to go keep doing it. And that to me says, no, this is where the people can have a say. The people can have a say by basically demanding some kind of change. And, you know, look, the, 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 the Academy Awards as a show has not done well in recent years. It's done terrible. But that never seems to stop them from continuing to make the same exact choices time after time after time. I mean, the little tiny token changes that they make really don't, they don't affect anything. And I feel like that is such a typification, it's such a typification. It is the typification of a larger problem underneath it, which is, look, if you want people to pay attention, you're going to have to change how you're approaching this. Does it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like one, one of the biggest issues people seem to have with the Academy Awards is the fact that they recognize films, but not movies. Right. Most of, most of the people that I talk to aren't really, I mean, they like movies, they like going to the movies, but they're not into it. So 
they won't see, you know, Jojo Rabbit or uh, Parasite. That, that that's just not something that they want to watch. But you know, the new Michael Bay film com- film comes out. They're they're all over it. Um, Spielberg, you know, they they know these names. They they recognize the the popcorn quality of of a lot of these. I don't I don't want to sound detrimental to you know things like uh, you know just regular action flicks superhero flicks and the the biggest complaint I hear from uh, those friends is well they don't recognize movies that I watch mm. and it's true but, they but they that, don't. But, but that does sort of speak to the, this idea that, okay, so, I mean, and, uh, you know, it's so funny because I, I think that this perspective is one that we as a whole society are sort of grappling with right now, and that is elitism versus uh, just sort of having uh, professionals understand that there is there is a way to measure excellence and it's not just what's popular. And we as a, as a populist have a very difficult time right now separating why if something isn't popular, it's excellent or why if something is excellent, it's not popular. Mm -hmm. And that is, I think, unfortunately that tends to be what drives the conversation. It's, it, it, it's almost like there's this irreverence toward what honest excellence is and the recognition of that honest excellence, that conversation has to also be had at the same time. So I'm not saying that the Academy should give up its uh, attention to the, the what excellence actually is, but I will say that I don't like how people look at the Academy or look at the Oscar nomination process and think that somehow because their favorite movie didn't get uh, nominated for best picture, that that means that somehow it was snubbed or what, I don't actually think that they are snubbed. I think, I mean, sometimes, but I think more often than not, (laughs) yeah, yeah, right. There are some, but I think more often than not, it is, the, the the level of excellence simply isn't there. It can be a great movie to you, but that doesn't mean it's a great movie, right? You know what I'm saying? I do believe there's a whole show about movies that aren't, you know, uh, I don't want to say they aren't popular, but they are widely criticized as bad, but some people love them. That's a good point. And if you if you if you watch now uh, Turner Classic Movies and you see what was popular back in a specific era, right? Mm-hmm. You get a very strong understanding of kind of what was being uh, accepted as um, excellent. You know what gets critical acclaim and and what doesn't. Um, and we have definitely. Sh- a lot but the shifting that we have done I think from a movie standpoint 
is that we were trying to sort of make a, a catch-all for everything. And you, you can't. You can't make everybody happy in this process. And I don't think you should. Because again, you know, we have the Golden Globes, we have the People's Choice Award, we have a bunch of other recognition pieces. The Academy Awards feels like it's supposed to be cut from a different cloth because that's the that is honestly the way that that it, it should be measured differently. I guess I could say that it it should be measured differently, but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be measured fairly, right? I mean, right. you still. I'm not saying that a woman has to win every year. I am, however, saying that there should be a woman in every single nominated category. I mean, uh, th there's no excuse for there not to be. Well, it might be difficult for a woman to win Best Actor. Um. Okay. Th there is an exception to that. There, you're correct. <laughs> you are absolutely correct. I think it it's safe to say that because the Academy Award struggles to garner any kind of mass appeal that they're like the nerdy girl that wants to be popular so bad, but aren't willing to do anything to, to change, mm. you know? And it doesn't mean that they need need to change but the the academy's goals of you know higher ratings for the oscars um doesn't really follow through with with the nominees yeah uh, because they're not nominating the movies that people want to see win and i don't think they should i don't think you know avengers endgame was it, it's the biggest box office ever right mm -hmm. it it got a one nomination for i think visual effects and that's fine it doesn't need to be nominated for best picture just yeah. because it made the most money i i, I definitely agree with that and I, I mean it's easy it, it's just so easy to hop overboard when you're talking about what's popular versus what uh what what has excellence attached to it it's just so easy to make a correlation between popular opinion and uh, and this process which is quite a bit different also the other thing that which i think you know both hurts and helps the academy nominating process is that it's secret it's it's very secret and so we don't know exactly well i mean we know some stuff but we certainly don't it's it's shrouded in mystery, I guess I should say. And because it's shrouded in mystery, you just don't have the kind of transparency that you do with everything else that we're so used to right now. And I think that sort of riles people up a little bit. You know, one of, um, and I, I heard about this a while ago, one of, one of the biggest problems with the voting process as a whole is that these these ad campaigns and, you know, th things like that, because uh, studios will pour millions and millions of dollars into for your consideration. Right. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I found out was a lot of the time, 
the people voting don't watch the movies. Right. I've heard that too. And, and I know some of these things can be a really big uh, time commitment, but I mean, it, kind of a big deal <laughs> if you have if your job is to pick a winner for a category maybe you should watch just throwing that out there maybe you should watch <laughs> all of the nominees <laughs> it, it seems like such a no-brainer but it yeah apparently that's not always the case also boy so I think there's also one other uh, sneaky issue in here, which maybe doesn't get a whole lot of sort of talk time because it's a little bit uncomfortable. But something that seems to come up again and again is why the average person really cares about this and how much of a fuss they can make about their favorite movie not getting an award or, you know, oh, this person was totally robbed and all that. And it, it it becomes so sort of like oddly contentious without really having a whole lot of meaning attached to it that it's almost like people like to, they like to find the fight in whatever is going on. And that also feels like, look, you know, if, if you, if the uh, Academy of the Oscars as a, as a whole presentation would be just a tiny bit more um, transparent with their ideas, maybe not giving us, you know, all of the sources, all of the methods, all of that, but maybe giving us just a tiny little glimpse into sort of what's happening and the kind of accountability that people have for making those decisions. Maybe people would feel better about it. But again, because there is just nothing, I, I can understand why people get upset. I really can. Yeah, and uh, it, sometimes it seems like the winners are chosen at random. Yes. With, with how off the wall they, they seem. And I don't know. Um, I, I have my, my day job, you know, that I go to. And after an award show, it rang true, especially after Golden Gloves, I would show up for work and do the typical you know, water cooler conversations, right? And and start off with, so did anybody watch the Golden Globes? And nope, not one person. Wow. Did anybody uh, catch catch the winners? Nope, I don't watch that junk. Like, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna need to find some people to talk about this stuff with. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, it's just in, in my field, nobody cares. And well, that's unfortunate. I, I, I can, I mean, I can actually understand, you know, uh, entertainment and this is Hollywood sort of cannibalizing in on itself. They, they have created a world where, you know, you keep the fans at a distance and yet you try to pull them in with some Twitter tricks and this and that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not, it's disingenuous at best. And at worst, it feels like, there is some kind of uh, nefariousness behind Hollywood sort of, you know, or major production companies having their cake and eating it too. Look, you know, we want you to be fans. We want you to be loyal. 
we want you to podcast about our stuff and you know really hype what we're doing but at the same time they also are absolutely almost elitist about not giving people any information and making them making uh the the whole process feel murky and impossible to see through so i, I don't know i mean like there's a part of me that thinks yeah you know this is so sad and there's another part of me that thinks no this is they did this to themselves yeah that's fair um you know i want to backtrack just a second that's okay uh to to the best picture category uh just so everybody's aware i had this nice run sheet you know we're hitting the the, the time markers and we, you know we we're gonna roll through this and and really uh nail down some topics here but now we're off book we're going throwing all that out the window and <laughs> Uh, I, w I want to mix one of our other categories, one of our other topics that I wanted to talk about with this. Um, we we touched upon it for a second. So, snubs, Oscar snubs. Let's we're starting with we'll we'll just roll through the categories as they come up. So we're going to go back to best picture. What came out in 2019 that you thought could be a best picture nominee? What's that? Midsummer. Okay, I haven't seen that. I I know it's on Amazon Prime right now. That definitely is one that I feel like it absolutely deserved uh, at least a nod, um, because it it I mean it was excellent and everything was excellent, not just the story but cinematography. The actual dialogue was just out of this world. It just all came together. So that's one. But again, you know, Midsummer was definitely far more in the horror genre, and they just don't get best picture nods. They just don't. Is that the only one? Um, I let's see. What is another? What's the? Oh, there was one. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. Well, actually, I don't want to think. Um. Think what's the other one that was? It isn't a. It's not. It's not a horror movie. I, I have this thing with horror movies right now. I'm particularly obsessed, um, and so a whole lot of them that I see happen to be that. Um, what's the other one though? There was one that was more straightforward drama that I thought was absolutely epic, um, and. I don't actually remember what it was. Oh, do you not letterboxed? Uh, uh, what? So do you not letterboxed? I uh, hold on a second. I just have I've got this in a note actually. Um, Judy. There we go. Oh, again, um, the Judy Garland thing. Yeah, I. I mean, I was actually super surprised by that movie i did not think it was i thought i was gonna it, like i would grit my teeth through the whole thing and it was amazing absolutely amazing I i've heard good things recommend. who stars in that uh renee zellweger that's right because i was like she's back yeah yeah 
And wow, I mean, what a what a stage presence. Just absolutely stunning. Yeah, I was really, really, really happy with that movie. And and that movie also seems to like tick all the boxes that should be there for an Academy Award, and yet, yeah, it just didn't get anything. Biopic, period piece, underdog, you know. Mm-hmm. The the whole nine yards. And also it's one of their own, you know, it's one of it's one of Hollywood's own. So Hollywood really royalty. Felt like it should. Yeah. It really felt like it should. But yeah, whatever. Well, that's uh, surprising. I haven't seen it. Uh, I do. I think I would like to see it, but I'm not sure yet. Um, a few, a few come to mind for me. John Wick three. You know that should be best. No, I'm kidding. Oh, I mean it was good, God. but come on. Um, <laughs> right up so, there with the Lion King. Yeah, you know I haven't watched the remake of the Lion King yet either. Oh. I saw the Aladdin one, and it made me, you know, hesitant about Lion King. (laughs) So, some of the movies that have been recognized by other places, but not the Academy for some reason, Knives Out. Yeah. Nah, I don't know if that's worthy of an Academy, though. I don't know. It was good. It was good. It was really good. Um, Dolomite is my name. Oh, yeah, that was also good nothing 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 for any nothing for anybody surprising especially considering how much how much buzz there was around it yeah and of course i think the out of the movies i've seen uncut gems being just when i saw that when i saw that the first my first thought was god i wish I could write as well as this. This was uh, amazing. And I am so on the fence about that one. Go ahead. It, it was just ignored all the way across the board. And I'm not saying Adam Sandler deserves an Oscar. I'm saying someone should have said he should be nominated. Well, see, there you go. That, that I think, is the – that's also part of the problem. Part of the problem is that there's some kind of perception about whether an artist, whether they're director, producer, whatever, deserves the honor, you know, deserves it. And at this point, to make a major motion picture, you're talking about sometimes thousands of people being involved, and it's not just – one person's vanity project i mean you're talking about a lot of stuff so yeah i mean if the story has excellence it shouldn't the focus shouldn't be on just one person i don't know uh, the, stuff like that actually really bugs me like i said i'm not i'm not saying he should win but but, there, the, but there's, the film should have been nominated ab- ab- absolutely it made me care about basketball betting in a way that kept me on the edge of my seat. I had no idea what any of this stuff meant when I watched the movie and they were tossing around the gambling terms. And then, you know, as, as it went on, I'm like, wow, I am literally svitzing over, uh, you know, a, a, a basketball game because of the, the, the really high stakes. And 
when a movie can draw me in like that and leave me wondering what's going to happen next uh yeah i'm i'm in i'm all in and the fact that it was very well made very well shot very well written extremely well acted and still completely ignored by the academy even though everybody else is like uncut gems is you know a truly something to watch it it, it blows my mind well it, the, uh, yeah i mean there's no other way to say it yeah that i don't i don't know if it if a if it was well yeah i guess it kind of was i mean that film is not nominated in any category nothing so yeah that was the movie i watched and i said uh sorry quentin that screenplay uh oscar's gotta go somewhere else Mm. oh that's interesting again because it it took a subject that i had absolutely no interest in and made me care about it and you get that through good writing. My, I know that we just, uh, you know, spent a good deal of time talking about how the Oscar doesn't recognize, um, you know, essentially women or people that aren't white men. And I also think there's there's a, maybe a short list of of names that when a movie pops up on possible nominations that they're like, nah, I think yeah. Adam Sandler is one of those that no matter what he does, it they're just going to see, Oh, it's Adam Sandler. Nah. Well, I, okay. So actually I'm, I'm, I was about to say something that actually doesn't even, that even when I'm thinking about it, it, it actually does. It shouldn't play in. I, my feeling is, this is this this is the kind of thing that happens to writers often if you uh if you write genre specific when you start writing genre specific you are typecast into that genre and no matter what else you do even if it's awesome nobody wants to hear about it because it's not the genre that you are putting yourself in and in some ways i feel like adam sandler when he started he started in in such a very specific type of role and continued on with it that it's hard for people to see anything else from him as being viable. And I don't think that that's right. I think it's wrong, but it, but I, but I, I see sort of like into what might be happening there. Although, you know, to be honest, I sometimes think that the Oscar nominating process takes itself too seriously so seriously that it just doesn't want to let anybody in that they don't again think is quote-unquote worthy which is really ridiculous i think one of the um, other names that could be on its its no fly list kevin smith he didn't win for or he he didn't get anything for chasing Amy back in the day, so okay. I think this is a long term issue. Well, the guy that made Mallrats, no, no, we can't. Yeah, no. yeah, exactly, exactly. Although I don't know, Kevin Smith has a more dubious sort of uh, relationship with a bunch of people in Hollywood, but uh, that doesn't it shouldn't matter. It, again, 
if the if your film is excellent, it should be considered for excellence. You know, uh, one thing I will say um, from an original screenplay standpoint, um, I feel like Knives Out is the best choice in that category because it, from top to bottom, Knives Out is ingenious in the way that it visually narrates something that you know took a scriptwriter a heck of a long time to come up with. Even if you started from the end and worked your way forward, it's still an incredible labyrinth to visually narrate. And they did such an excellent job with it. So I, I really hope that that's... As much as I love 1917, I really feel like Knives Out is the right choice there. Yeah, Brian Johnson did a great job. And, and you could see it that he... Uh, you could see the the points that he must have plotted out where he's like, okay, this is the problem. How are they going to get around it? Yeah. I, I actually envisioned sort of like one of those uh, big cork boards and mm -hmm. pieces of string being tied from post-it note to post-it note to post-it note uh, about all of the different plot points. And uh, you know, one of the things about Knives Out that is uh, incredibly interesting from a screenplay standpoint is it is very obvious that the um, that the they give everything away at the very beginning of the movie, so you know basically sort of what is happening without understanding all the nuances underneath it. So it's a very layered experience, and that is also really rare in storytelling right now especially in screenplay, uh, in original screenplays. It's very, very different. So, Yeah, completely agree that it, it's one of those movies, if you haven't watched it, watch Knives Out, uh, where you know what happened, but you don't know what happened. I mean, you right. saw it with your own eyes, but you right. don't know what happened. Right, exactly, exactly. That, uh, we we were talking about um, a group of us were talking about uh, why we love uh, a deconstructed murder mystery, and you know why we all wanted to see Murder on the Orient Express, and why it's so successful when this is done properly. And one of my friends uh, kind of brought up, I think, the best point, which is it's not so much that we want to know who done it. It's we want to understand who done it, why. And then even that becomes a little bit cloudy and you want to know who done it, why, in, the, in what way. Like we don't want, as the audience, we don't want to know up front everything that happened because then we feel like we're going to be cheated the rest of the movie. Like, well, what new things can possibly come out? And a good murder mystery does exactly that it keeps mm -hmm. things unfolding little by little by little and honestly yeah knives out is definitely a must see definitely i was on a facebook uh, article and and i don't remember which which page it was but someone commented that um if i can remember the quote here uh i don't think Knives Out was all that great. It didn't bring anything new to the table. Um, of course, the Knives Out defenders were 
out in full force saying this, 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 and this, you know, I commented, no, no, it doesn't really bring anything new to the table as far as, you know, that story. Um, but it's the first time in a while that it was done extremely well. And right. That's what matters. And, and also if I can be so bold as to say the dialogue in knives out is so cleverly written that if you go back and watch it after you've seen it the first time, you'll catch all these little things that are basically clues that you didn't catch the first time through. So that means I have to watch it again. Uh, You know, it's definitely worth it. It is really worth it. I could think of worse things to do. I, I, I also, you know, from another from uh, another category, um, because it's not well. Actually, yes, it is. Um, as much as again, as much as I absolutely love 1917, and I totally believe that from a cinematography standpoint, that is, it's just absolutely breathtakingly beautiful. You know what else was really amazing? I don't think it'll win, but I feel like it definitely deserved the accolade. Um, is the lighthouse. I don't know if you saw that. I have not. It, it It's disturbing. <laughs> it's really disturbing, but it's excellently disturbing. Um, the, the camera angles are, oh God, sometimes they're like, it's hard to sit and, and pay attention because the harshness is sort of right in your face at all times. Um, it, it's so mood inspiring uh, and not, inspi- not inspiring like, oh, I'm inspired. Like, I mean, there's so much mood that it makes you feel that it's the first movie I've seen in a long time that actually made me feel uncomfortable to watch, but not like I wanted to turn it off. Like, wow, you know, they made the human existence feel incredibly difficult and all of that through just camera uh, and lighting and the sort of ability to create little pockets of space with the camera that are, oh, man, I, some things even I couldn't figure out how in the world they did them. The, it, that was really, really good. And that's one of those that's on my uh, to watch list. And I'm, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I, like I said before, when it came to the Golden Globe, nominees i saw two of them in the theater Uh, the rest i watched at home and i don't mean you know by paying so uh when i find a good copy i can watch i will definitely be watching that um you know we can talk about uh the other screenplays right now it's you know, we talked about Knives Out with Ryan Johnson, Marriage Story. You haven't seen Noah Baumbach. You saw 1917, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. Parasite's getting a lot of recognition from the Academy this year. And, you know, best film, best director, best screenplay, best right. foreign film. I think it's probably, you know, a lock for that for sure. Um. So do do you think who do you think's who do you think's going for for best original screenplay? Oh boy, that's a really tough one. Um, see, <clears throat> I, I I don't know enough about Marriage Story to be able to say for sure. 
Um, but if I had to guess, I think I would say Knives Out. You don't think um, Quentin takes the no the trifecta? I, d- I don't. I d- Look, you know what? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was definitely an amazing story. It was good. I mean, there's just zero. You can't really argue with that. But what you can argue with is how many people it pissed off. And, uh, you know, instead of it being uh, the Judy Garland story, um, it's sort of almost irreverently uh, uh, boy, I don't know how to say this. I, I, I just from what I understand from from a from an absolute uh, technical standpoint, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was an excellently conceived and written screenplay, no doubt mm-hmm. about it. It was it definitely is worthy of this nod, absolutely. But it but it also steps on so many toes that eh, I don't. I don't know. I feel like even though I don't want politics to be a part of the process, I feel like politics will be a part of the process. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Quentin Tarantino wrote this movie, spent the first, you know, quarter of it building up um, old time Hollywood. I say old time and it's fifties and sixties, but building up that era of Hollywood and then the rest of the movie, just tearing it down. Um, because the star is aging out, right? And the the way you know stars were treated as they were becoming less relevant, and it was a thing. And maybe you have a point when Hollywood as a whole doesn't want to self reflect on that fact. Then you know, some of the more direct insults and, and, and things like that too. But does it deserve the win? Put all politics aside. Is it the best written screenplay? Not when you compare it to 1917, Parasite, or Knives Out. No. I, I, I do think that it is worthy of an Oscar nod. But in my opinion, uh, I I just feel like from an original standpoint, well, yeah, from an original standpoint, I I feel like 1917 was actually really strong and Knives Out is only a little bit stronger because of sort of some of the clever tricks that they used in the actual screenwriting. I look at categories like this and... If I can't get my hands on, you know, an actual copy of the screenplay, you know, I, I look at it and, and think, does this read as well as it plays out? And for Marriage Story, uh, I can't really imagine reading that story and feeling the same way I felt without those performances. Mm, that's a good point. Um, Knives Out. There's a little bit of that, but I think it also stands alone as a great read. I do think uh, Daniel Craig brought something extra, but not necessarily he the reason why you know it stands out. 
1917, I think without, you know, all of the cool cinematography and the, and the great performances, I'm not really sure that it jumps from the page. Um, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think is is much the same way. Parasite could definitely do it, but I don't, I, I feel like Parasite wouldn't get best original screenplay just because it's foreign. And I, I don't mean that as a slight on foreign films. I mean, I, the the screenwriting process is just so different altogether. I, I don't know. Although, as a as a um, as an original idea, Parasite is amazing, truly amazing. I, I can't really talk a whole lot about Parasite because almost anything that I say is going to end up being very spoilerish, and I feel like. After the Academy Awards, people will go, oh, what's Parasite? What's Parasite? And want to see it. I know my local, I don't want to say art house theater, but, you know, that theater, Mm -hmm. um, they've been uh, playing it pretty regularly. I'm guessing it's not one that I take the kids to. No. Oh, God, no. (laughs) I got an oh, God, no. So... Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm assuming this is one of this is going to be one of my late night late night watches, and yeah. since tomorrow's a holiday, I got all night. Hey, see, there you go. But uh, those were the original screenplays, and sometimes a writer takes somebody else's work and adapts it for the big screen, and that's what these writers did. I'm just going to go with uh, the titles here: The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit. Joker, uh, that's a bit of a stretch. Uh, Little Women and the Two Popes. And you said you haven't seen Jojo Rabbit, right? Right. Yeah, I didn't see that one yet. You didn't see the Two Popes? I know what it's about, though. Yes, I did. Okay. So, what what do you think? This is, I I I gotta say, it's it's not as a strong category as Best Original. Dude, this one's a tough one, but I, I think from, the, <laughs> you know, I mean, we're basically just rolling the dice here. Um, what I would like to see win is the Irishman, because I from I don't know exactly what source this was adapted from, but whatever source it was adapted from, they told it a really epic story in the Irishman. It's it, it's a slog to get through if you're not used to uh, the more art house kind of movies that take their time to get where they need to go, but it is well worth sitting through. I, yeah, I can agree with that. Uh, so you don't think Joker? I don't feel like as an a, adapted screenplay, that's a good place to put that at all. I don't uh, think no. it's very adapted at all. Yeah, that's source material. Whatever they're talking about in terms of the source material doesn't feel... I mean, obviously there was an adaptation for it, but it just doesn't feel like that's the strong... Uh, that's not the strong place to go there. Well, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a completely original story based on a few characters from the Batman universe, right? It's, this is not a story that's been told before in comics. Um, right. So what what the in fact it only lists um for for the nomination based on characters created by Bill Finger, Bob Kane, and Jerry Robinson. 
It's based on characters. It's not based on a book, a play, or anything at all. Just based on characters. So does that right. mean that if somebody came up with a completely new, you know, Sherlock Holmes movie that was good, um, and and it got a nomination for the writing, it would it would be adapted because it's based on a character that already existed. Well, the, see, that's the thing. I, I'm not even sure what criteria they were using to create uh, or to tell, because I don't know what source material they're talking about for Joker. I, I Maybe there's something out there that they used that they sort of made a hybrid blend, but I don't know what it is. Well, the the source material listed is based on characters created by. So, so they took the characters really and like didn't really adapt any story. Yeah, it doesn't that doesn't feel like an adapted screenplay at all. So I I agree it does deserve to win. I think Jojo Rabbit um I I, I don't know what to say about that. I, it was it was a great movie. It, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Although to me it confirmed my theory that Scarlett Johansson can't do accents <laughs> and doesn't even try. I I had this first feeling when I watched what was it? Iron Man 2 and you know she's Natasha and not Russian. Right. So there's that. And then seeing her in this where she's you know, the mother of the boy and they're in World War II Germany. Everybody around her has a German accent, but she doesn't. Seemed weird. Maybe there, maybe there was a reason, though, that they did that. Maybe maybe she really couldn't do it. I don't think she can do accents. Just like Benedict Cumberbatch can't say penguin. <laughs> That's hilarious. And by the way, if you uh, if you haven't heard that video, it's uh, very worth checking out. Benedict Cumberbatch can't say penguin. It's so funny. The penguins. It's also cute. It's it's really adorable. I think his agent got him that gig just to piss him off. <laughs> <laughs> but for um, adapted screenplay, I hear a lot of talk about Little Women. I haven't seen it. But I wouldn't be upset because, you know, the, the original story is good. The Two Popes, something we haven't really talked about uh, so I far. Like I didn't like it. You didn't like it? No. Oh, I thought it was really good. I, uh, I, I can't I say it was, I, like it. I can't say it was award worthy. But again, it's one of those movies where I thought, yeah, the performances are great. The the cinematography, it is what it is. But, you know, I enjoyed it. I don't know why I didn't like it, but I just didn't like it. It just didn't do anything for me. Not, I mean, not that it wasn't a well-made movie. It just didn't do anything for me. Kind of like how the Joker was for me. Yeah, yeah, there you go. It's like you, you can acknowledge and recognize the talent involved in making it but it just didn't scratch that itch for you. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have to say, going back to the Joker, I, I walked into that movie not knowing what to expect and not thinking that it was going to be fabulous because of what I had read already on Rotten Tomatoes. And I thought, oh, you know, I don't know. Maybe this is going to... There's so much controversy around it. Maybe it's not going to be all that great. And I sort of cleared all of that out when I walked into the theater. And I have to say, I'm really glad that I did because it definitely, it it struck a different nerve than I think most movies are comfortable striking. I mean, there's a lot of, it's, it's definitely, it is a story about Joker. It's just not the Joker that we have come to expect and know in the DC universe that we have built up. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, he wasn't a criminal mastermind. He wasn't a criminal at all. He was just a guy. Well, he killed that guy. Well, we don't see. That's the thing. We don't even know that. That the the problem that I well, not the problem. It's not a problem. It's a but it's an ambiguity that started to feel like we were walking dreamlike through his world, and because it didn't feel like we had a concrete fix on reality during Joker because of the way that we were seeing things through his perspective, because of the way that we know that he invented the girl and, you know, kind of created in his own mind, a lot of the stuff that happened. We don't even know if half of the things that happened actually happened. And, and so in his own mind, he was great in his own mind. All these amazing things really did happen. But did they all actually happen? That feels very ambiguous. Okay, that's fair. I suppose we could talk about performances, if you like. Wait, there's one. Let's definitely talk about performances. But there's one category that never gets any love, um, which, well, I shouldn't say it doesn't get any love. It doesn't get love, except Disney gets love. Um, and the, that's the animated feature. And this year there is, uh, there's a, a singular, uh, animated movie that is playing still on Netflix. It came out just before Christmas called Klaus and the animation style in Klaus is done, um, to a large extent in kind of an old school way. And it is absolutely breathtaking it's beautiful absolutely beautiful um and the story the story i've heard everything about the story from wow that's so contrived which is ridiculous because it's a santa claus story so every santa claus story is going to be contrived to i don't understand why they felt like they need to retell santa through the eyes of somebody else um and i don't know if you were paying if you were around when we were having the conversation that yeah, you were, you were there, um, uh, about why I didn't like that, uh, the movie, The Invisible Man, because I felt like mm-hmm. they were taking it out of The Invisible Man. And, but in, in this movie, in Klaus, it actually works because the only way to tell a Santa story is basically through the people around him, right? Because you can't tell a legend by making the legend the center on which you're talking about King Arthur. Um, it has to be how the legend started. And this movie was actually so incredibly good. The animation was just stunning. And it didn't have 
huge 3D rendering or 2D rendering uh, machines. It didn't have, you know, the kind of stuff that now we are seeing that came out for like Toy Story 4 or How to Train Your Dragon. It's all, everything in Klaus feels like it was, like it was designed and created from a, a, a storybook. But it, but it effectively is animated in a way that is incredibly compelling. So I, I don't know if that will win for animated feature, but that is my huge choice for that category. I think when it comes to best animated feature, uh, unfortunately, I'd say the odds on favorite is probably Toy Story 4. But Yeah, Disney seems to always sweep that category. And I don't think it's going to be based on the merits of Toy Story 4. Nope, I don't either. The, Toy Story when, 4 was good. It was good. Did you see yeah, it? But, yeah, yeah, but it doesn't. It, I don't think it deserves to win. Yeah, it didn't rise to the level of excellent. I mean, it just felt like every other Toy Story. Well, I mean, every other Toy Story is amazing, especially Toy Story 3, where... That, see, I, I struggle to give spoilers for that. Because all I can say is the scene. You know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was so emotionally powerful. And and nothing in Toy Story 4 even comes close to that um to that effect. And when when you have to compare it, you have to compare it to Toy Story 3 because it's it's Toy Story 4. It it just doesn't it doesn't match up. It doesn't um it's not as good. Yeah. And with, I got to say for the first time in a long time, that that's the only movie I saw on the best animated feature list. Oh, wow. And I'm looking at it and I'm still like, yeah, I still wouldn't give it to Toy Story 4. (laughs) See what I saw. I feel like, I feel like an actual Academy voter. I, you know, I suggest, honestly, that um, Klaus is, it's not super long, but it's not really short either. Um, it's its a Netflix movie. It's definitely an awesome popcorn night to hang out on the couch and watch. And it, it, it really is worth seeing. That animation style is a dying, it, it's, it's, people don't do it anymore. And it's really amazing to see how it was resurrected by combining technologies. It's absolutely, it's really worth it. It's worth it to see. I felt the same way um, uh, about Klaus as I did when I first saw Spirited Away. I had that same feeling like, yeah, the story's great, but wow, look at this animation. It's just absolutely astounding. So. Two points. One, it was one of those movies the kids wanted to watch over the holidays and I had already created the, the Christmas viewing schedule and we, we had already added the Santa Chronicles from Netflix, mm-hmm. which by the way, amazing. Yeah. Kurt Russell as Santa. Wow. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, and I, did, I just never got around to it, but you know, you were mentioning uh, telling the story of someone from a different perspective. Right. Well, 
taking the focus of the story when it's about a character, a protagonist, a very specific, uh, something very specific to a character and telling it through another protagonist. And in this case, it actually worked. I'm I'm not saying that it shouldn't be one of the next Joker movies because it, it could just be something completely standalone. But what if in a horror style, that's how they made a quote-unquote Batman movie? Hmm. From the perspective of the criminal that's being hunted by this demon in the night. Well, that's definitely pretty interesting. I'm not really into watching I'm Bruce Wayne, I'm Batman, you know, over and over again. It's the, see, you know, I have the same problem with this as I have with uh, Superman. Um, Mm -hmm. Because... because I don't even like Superman movies anymore. Um, He's not an interesting character. The, well, the and but see, that's just it. The reason that Superman isn't interesting, and I'm so sorry, Henry. I absolutely love you in The Witcher, so I'm, I apologize. <laughs> every time. Um, but the reason that Superman is not compelling anymore is not because the character of Superman is not compelling. It could absolutely be compelling, but it's because we're still t- trying to tell the same old story about truth, justice, and the American way, um, with maybe a couple of caveats, with some you know small tweaks to the uh, adventure, and we can't do that. We have to reimagine it completely because it doesn't work in this time. We don't live in the 1950s anymore. And I mean, as much as I think some people sort of you know get stuck with content being just at this time or whatever if you can't break out of it then your source material becomes irrelevant so if you want to keep your source material your content fresh you have to be able to reinvent it you have to be able to retell it it's one of the um i know we're getting off topic but uh, this is really to me this is sort of the epitome of why hollywood doesn't do things very well anymore with uh with retellings and things like that I don't know if you ever noticed how many, uh, since we were just talking about Christmas, how many of Christmas carols there are, but there's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, every single series, at least in the 90s, tried to do a Christmas carol take at least once. Um, it's just such a huge story, right? Yeah. And then this year they had uh, the retelling of the Christmas carol that was dark and bleak, and it was good, actually. It's really good. But the point is that every time we retell that story, we add a little something to it or we focus emphasis on a different aspect. Is it really Bob Cratchit? Is it really Ebenezer Scrooge? Is it the ghost? Is it whatever? And by doing that, we sort of create this uh, beautiful ability to tie it in with whatever's happening in our world today. And I feel like the comics have stopped recognizing that that's what they need to do in order to stay current. I will say that the Marvel Universe does a better job at it. I mean, you know, Iron Man definitely did a really good job with that. But the DC world seems to be really stuck in this idea that if we just retell the comics, everything will be fine. 
And it's, it, you can't do it that way. It doesn't work that way. You Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, staying too true to the source material can be a hindrance because that was that was the format that it worked in at the time. The the only DC, well, not the only, but the the, the DC movie that stands out as being, hey, this was awesome, uh, was Aquaman, and not just because of Jason Momoa, but because they like really retold the story and really retold the story. I mean, it wasn't a great story to begin with, so it's not going to get any like major, you know, huge critical accolades for me, but it was still a better reinvention of the story than just retelling it with, you know, a guy on a seahorse. That's what they do with Batman though. They just keep giving him like new tech. And God, every time, every time, <laughs> I, he, he there's Batman in a movie. I have to watch his parents die. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's not funny, but it is funny in the sense that it's just such a, uh, it's such a tragic, constant. There's no way that you can tell a Batman story anymore without having to go through the whole thing all over again. And it doesn't make any sense. Why? Why do we need to keep doing that? You know what? I'm going to say it right now. Uh, the 60s Batman movie is the best one. Oh, my God. We did that on Cinema du Fromage. I wanted to be on that episode so bad. <laughs> it's crazy. Because some that days podcast. you just can't get rid of a bomb. Uh, um, uh, Terry, actually... Um, defended that movie well defended he won that movie um that was up against i think wasn't batman up against westworld i think Batman. yes it was i was the judge on that that's right that's right and and batman won the and so yeah there's definitely a there's i i think it was actually pretty good too it was also the only batman movie where they didn't kill off his parents uh, that's true, but I but the TV universe of Batman doesn't kill off Bruce's parents. You just assume they're in Florida. The the t- yeah, I feel like the TV version sanitizes it very neatly. What and the, the but see, you know what? That goes exactly back to what I was saying, which is we live in a different time. We live in a time where we expect that if you are going to do something that requires us as the audience to sympathize with you, even though we know you're going to do very dark and terrible things that we have to see why all your dark and terrible things happened or how they happened. How did it happen that you were compelled to do all these dark and terrible things? And that's, if we can go back to Joker, that's what Joker really is, right? Joker really is the, why do you do these dark and terrible things? Well, here, let me show you. And Batman, it, it, it always flirts around. Why does Bruce Wayne do all these dark and terrible things? But it always excuses them in a way that makes it seem like, but everything's fine because he's crusading for justice. And it, it, like, I feel like that doesn't work anymore. Even the Dark Knight as you know morally ambiguous as that was still doesn't rise to that level i I just 
I just realized what the Joker was to me. And I uh, I don't remember the name of the movie, so I have to, I have to look it up real quick. Where is it? No, no. I can't find it. Oh, wait, yeah. The Clapper. The Clapper. Have you seen The Clapper? I don't think I have. It's a 2017 film starring Ed Helms and Amanda Seyfried. And basically, Ed Helms is this guy that his job is to be on infomercials in the audience. His job is being a clapper. Oh. And some late night host or something um, kind of notices that he's in all of these infomercials. And he's very um, he, 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 he he stands out by trying not to stand out in the audience. So he winds up getting noticed. He and it becomes a bit on this show. And and the the description is fifteen minutes of fame destroys the life of a man who works as a clapper in television. Oh wow. And I just realized, wait, that's kind of joker. Where basically he becomes a meme and things go downhill from there. Um, yeah. I, although I would argue that I would argue that at the core of Joker is a kind of uh, cultural existential crisis, and the, and again, I think that this is what makes it an amazing movie. It, it there is something incredibly timely about the way that. Uh, Joker experiences the world as we as we are experiencing it right now. It is so. Um, it's such a horrible experience to think that people have, and yet a lot of we know a lot of people have the, the same exact kind of experiences. That it, it makes. By the end of the film, it makes you want to sort of reinvent your idea of what it means to be um, the villain. That, you know, maybe we look at this a little bit differently because maybe who we think the villain is isn't really who the villain is. It's, it, I mean, I know it's convoluted and I know that it's, you know, there's a lot of complexity that goes into this, but I, part of the, part of the issue, I think, with not being able to retell stories in a, in a way that either makes sense or uh, is some kind of evolution of the story is that as a, as a media consuming populace, we don't always put the work into understanding the art uh we just kind of consume it and move on like it's fast food and 
some movies, all the movies that were nominated for Best Picture require some digestion. Um, and Joker is definitely in that category. Uh, it, it just takes a lot to digest that movie. It's, it's, I don't think that it's as straightforward as it seems to be. Yeah, yeah. Again, you make very uh, valuable points that I, I can't argue against because you're you're absolutely right. I again didn't hate the Joker. I, I just it didn't uh, scratch that itch for me. And I'm not saying that you know the Clapper. I'm well. well I'm not saying the Joker is a ripoff of the clapper or anything like that, because you can um, do similar things, but the Joker was still done uh, about a bazillion times better. Right. But just the, the, the idea that um, something similar happens to both of these characters and, you know, their, their lives are never the same afterwards. Although right. one does take it to a uh, kind of unnatural extreme. And, and, and again, you know, the, if we're talking about uh, what makes these films so amazing, I think we could look at any one of the films nominated for uh, best picture and we could find very similar threads that go along with them. I mean, one that we didn't talk about was Ford versus Ferrari which is, it's such a weird concept film. Uh, well, then maybe that's not really the right word, but it feels like a concept film. Um, it's, it's very tricked out and, and it looks beautiful. It's a gorgeous film. Um, but, but at its heart is sort of like this, the, the weird ideas that we have about, first of all, how stuff happens, and especially in uh, a big corporate culture. And secondly, there it's such a weird idea to look back on things that we already know are a part of our everyday lives and get a fuller understanding for what they mean. And again, all of the films that are on this list, they, they all do that very thing. Once upon a time in Hollywood, parasite, definitely. Um, 1917. I don't know if 1917 does quite that marriage story from what I know about it definitely does little women, pretty much uh joker definitely jojo rabbit again from what i know about it it definitely turns reality upside down um yeah. and the irishman for sure so all of these films they all kind of do this very similar thing where they're all uh they're all sort of turning the world kind of in an upside down way and uh explaining to us why any one of these events is so important do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Especially Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm, that one for sure is like a, that that is such an upside down idea. Uh, well, upside down, like the, 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 the whole movie is based on an upside down understanding of the people who were experiencing a very upside down event or events in time. Yeah. The sixties were definitely that, uh, in a nutshell. And then to have Quentin Tarantino's 
take on that where things went even more sideways. Really sideways. God, that, that, those, those, when I was watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I'm, I was entertained throughout, right? Um, was wondering when the Tarantino would kick in, you know, yeah, there's the witty dialogue and, you know, this, that, and the other, but, you know, I was waiting for that, that Tarantino, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and then the, the whole thing happens at the end there and I'm like, and there it is. This movie went from, you know, you know, pretty, pretty good to great to awesome. And it, it really steps it up a notch right at the end there. Where, uh, where I, whether you think it's good or bad, it, we went full Tarantino. Oh, for sure. I, I mean, on a similar note, on a Tarantino note, um, there is this super long extended version of Hateful Eight, which <laughs> I don't know if you've seen Hateful Eight, but I saw the theatrical version. Yeah, it's uh, it's like the Hateful Eight on steroids. It's uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how you get meta uh, with Quentin Tarantino. Like it, that almost seems like completely an oxymoron, but it's there. It, it's just wow. Yeah, the long version of Hateful Eight is crazy. Quentin Tarantino is such an interesting person. He's such a good director, and he's such an amazing. Uh, he's such an amazing presence in Hollywood, but he, he, but he's so, he just doesn't care. I mean, he just doesn't care what people think about him. Well, I'm sure he does care what people think about him, but you know what I mean? Like he just doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't say it that way. He's always so, you know, whatever happens, happens. I'm having fun making my movies and nobody's going to take that away from me. I, I feel like that's, that's perfect. It should be like that. He is unapologetically a film nerd. For sure. For sure. And I mean, this is a guy that's like, you know, from a cinematographer, not cinematographer, from a director standpoint, is like the golden boy in just in terms of he came up from being a video store clerk. You don't Mm -hmm. get much more humble than that kind of beginning. I imagine he was Randall in Clerks. Oh, that's awesome. You don't want to watch that. You want to watch this. That's so awesome. Before we have to run, let's talk about uh, some of these performances. Uh, Best actor, Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory. Leo in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Adam Driver in A Marriage Story. Joaquin Phoenix in Joker. Jonathan Price in The Two Popes as Cardinal Jorge Mario Bergoglio. And you have seen, what, All But One? All But Marriage Story. I haven't seen Pain and Glory. Um, You know, for this one, I definitely go back to Joker. So you go back to Joker? I, uh, I, I really want Adam Driver to win. I really, really want that, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, more than likely, they're going to uh, toss it over to Joaquin Phoenix, which... I'm sure Leonardo DiCaprio is like, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> that's how, that's how, yeah. Because when I watched Once Upon a 
time in Hollywood and that scene where, you know, the little girl goes up to him and she's like, that was the best performance I've ever seen. And he starts crying. I was like, yep, that's uh, this is Leo's second Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. And then again, for that, everything I said about the Joker, I cannot take away from Joaquin Phoenix's performance. Yeah, it it was it was down a rabbit hole. I, I, you know, there's method acting, and then there's like, uh, absolutely being the character, and he just absolutely was that character. For sure. Talk about some of the ladies. Best actress Cynthia Erivo, uh, and Harriet Tubman, Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story. Soros C. Ronan in Little Women, Charlize Theron in Bombshell, and Renee Zellweger in Judy. So, I mean, you know my love affair with Judy, so I sort of, I I would love for her to win. Um, I just absolutely think that that would be amazing. But I'm sort of leaning toward uh, Harriet, just because I feel like they're going to have to give a token Oscar to Harriet. I can see that being a possible outcome. But honestly, I'm not... I, I, I haven't seen Judy. I haven't seen Bombshell. I haven't seen Little Women. And I haven't seen Harriet. Mm. So based on what I've seen, you know, Scarlett Johansson uh, is, the, is the only performance that I saw. But and you 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 have a point about um, the Harriet Award. I'm not sure if it would be deserved. Um, would you say it would be deserved if it won? Um, I mean, yes. It Harriet was actually, you know, I, my problems with Harriet were are completely not about the technical excellence of the film. So it's just more about how the it's about the whole film altogether. Um, and certainly as a lead actress, Cynthia was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, if we're going to put things into, into like categories of, uh, okay, so who really did the best job? Judy, or Renee Zellweger as Judy was actually, I think, the best. But uh, I can also see uh, uh, Charlize Theron in Bombshell also. <laughs> that, she was really convincing. I mean, she was really convincing. I really felt like I was watching the inside of uh, the Fox newsroom. It was pretty amazing. That was good. I liked it a lot. I had no interest in seeing Bombshell, but that kind of makes me interested. She was, she was you know, it's, it's hard to write uh, a strong female lead and have a female lead take it and and portray it as strongly as it's written. But you could really feel that the strength that was written for that part was absolutely empowered through uh, through Charlie's Theron. You really could feel it. Like it it didn't never felt forced to me. It always felt like yeah, this is exact. I'll bet that that's exactly what she said. Almost sassy, like you know, like <laughs> yep, that's a, yep. I can see that. So let me ask you, since I, I, this might sound, this might be a surprise, but I trust your opinion on cinema. 
Should I watch Bombshell? I would say, yes, it's definitely worth watching. It's, you know why else it's worth watching? It's, it's also worth watching because it is definitely a moment in our history um, from a, uh, both an, uh, an event standpoint and a kind of pop culture uh, standpoint. And knowing some of the stuff that went into how they made that and what it was based off of, because so much of it is, is true. I mean, I'm putting true in quotes, but I mean, it's, it really is based off true events. Um, it, it sort of, it makes you think about things a little bit differently than you might think about them just right this very second. So I would say, yes, it, it is definitely worth watching. And the performances really are great. Okay. I'll, I, I will give it a look. But uh, running against the clock here, uh, Best Supporting Actor, Tom Hanks, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Anthony Hopkins, The Two Popes, Al Pacino, The Irishman, Joe Pesci, The Irishman, Brad Pitt, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. To me, there is only one winner. And that is? Brad Pitt. It's Cliff Booth. He became one of my favorite characters from movies ever. I think uh, Joe Pesci and Al Pacino kind of cancel each other out as far as the Mm -hmm. voters are concerned. Anthony Hopkins was, you know, don't get me wrong, great performance. but You don't think Tom Hanks has a chance? I don't think he deserves it. Really? I mean, it was great, but it wasn't Cliff Booth. Right. It, it, well, yeah, that character is so much larger than any amount of life could possibly begin to describe. He fought Bruce Lee. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm saying he's so... It, it's such a larger-than-life character. But I could see Tom Hanks taking it because of what you said earlier about the political situation surrounding Once Upon a Time. Yeah, yeah. I there there's there is that. That's why I just I I I don't think that um well, I don't know, I shouldn't say that. I I honestly this is one big giant toss up for me. I just don't know. Supporting actor and supporting actress are so difficult to pin down. Right. Well, we only have 1 minute to pin down best supporting actress, so real quick, Kathy Bates, Laura Dern, Gojo for her um, second nomination gonna, this year. I'm going to Florida... go with Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie? Yep, in Bombshell. I'm going to go with uh, Skojo because, again, it's the only one I've seen. I want to thank everybody, especially you, Jen, for uh, joining me here That's for the so rebooting of SCOP, and hopefully this will be turned into a weekly thing. I'll find someone to talk to on a weekly basis. I think I can do that. <laughs> uh, Jen, where can everybody find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at followingbliss1, and you can find my website at moviesmakethemeal and criticallaughs.com. And you can always find me on Twitter at skitcomic. And uh, don't forget to look up Semicorn Studios on Facebook. That's where I guess I'll be posting all of the updated information about all the shows I do, including the Backstage Slam every weekend. That's a wrestling podcast. Scop, where we talk about entertainment stuff. And who knows where the conversation goes, because I had five topics scheduled for this for this show and we never got out of the first one and um you know more more news coming uh released a new episode of josh's world last thursday was my birthday episode and 
you know, just kind of gave a, gave a state of me address and a little bit of politics on the side. But right now, the marathon continues with Kinte, who has uh, jumped back in. And uh, thanks for joining us. Last year, 76 online shoppers' banking details were hacked every minute. Many of these people were attacked on public Wi-Fi at cafes and airports. Protect your logins and bank details from hackers with TunnelBear. TunnelBear gives you free data to start so you can see if the network is right for you. Sign up now at protectyourwifi.com and get one extra gig of data for free. Visit protectyourwifi.com for more information. Hi, welcome to Metro by T-Mobile. Hi, my dad is in serious need of an upgrade. Yeah, my phone's a fossil. He needs a new phone and a new network, stat. Well, when he switches to Metro, he can get an amazing iPhone 7 with HD Retina display for just $99.99 after ID validation. Wow, $99.99? Bye-bye, fossil. Requires porting of eligible number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. With validation of ID, an independent database limit for per account slash household. 32 gigabyte model only. See store for details and terms and conditions.